Hi everyone, this is Kaz and I want to welcome you to this episode of Stepping Out, the podcast where I talk to people about their lives and their connection to nature, health, well-being and a lot of the time how brilliant walking is. Today I spoke to the thoughtful and creative consultant, designer and author Julia Plevin. Oh, yoga, not for me, meditation, not for me, uh, Reiki, like there's all of these beautiful practices that come from around the world and, you know, they might feel that it's not theirs to do or they're just, it might be too out there for them. But nature, no matter who you are or where you come from, we all come from the earth. So we all deserve to have a relationship with it, right? That's our birthright. Julia wrote the wonderfully entitled book, The Healing Magic of Forest Bathing finding calm, creativity and connection in the natural world. She also founded the Forest Bathing Club and takes groups of people into nature to find and share their connection to that nature in her part of the world, Oregon, in the US. Julia sees herself as someone here to create a more beautiful world where all beings are able to thrive and live in harmony and nature. We talk about growing up in a culture which valued achievement over personal and planetary well-being, how she moved into a more creative space and a totally different place to live, and amongst other things, what happens in her forest bathing groups, a practice stemming from Japan called Shinrin-yoku. I'm sure you'll agree when you hear our chat that Julia has a beautiful soul and an interesting and refreshing outlook on life. So enjoy your time outside today if you can, plug in some headphones and off we'll go. Hi Julia, it's great to have you on Stepping Out. Thank you so much for joining me. How's your day going so far? Mm, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks. And my day has been going great. It's a hot summery day here in Ashland, Oregon. So I just got back from a run. Oh, wow. Yeah, it did look really, really warm there. It's kind of picking up here, really, our British summer. It's um, It's been a bit off the last week or so. It's been a bit rainy. Um, I've managed to get out and about. So what does your day generally look like? Have you managed to squeeze in any kind of, obviously you've been running, but do you normally squeeze in a bit of surfing in the mornings? I know you're really into your surfing, aren't you? I do. Yeah, you know what? Um, I love to surf. I've been living... So I used to live like in San Francisco, which is right on the Pacific Ocean and would surf all the time. Now I live in Ashland, Oregon, which is a couple hours inland. So I haven't been getting as much surfing in, but a lot of, we live in the Cascades Siskiyou National Monument. There's a beautiful forest known for its biodiversity and amazing. The, the Pacific Crest Trail goes through here, the famous trail from, um, I'm blanking on, I can see the book anyways so there's amazing trails so I do a lot of hiking and running um I have a eight month old puppy and she's a sheep herding mutt so she needs a lot of exercise so we do a lot (laughs) that's that's interesting actually because I've been looking I'm not that I'm probably going to get a dog anytime soon but I have this little fantasy that I'm going to get one and it's really interesting because you have to find one if you're a walker or a runner that can actually keep up and do the distance because some of them just wouldn't manage it would they so that's a perfect one that you've got there yeah exactly I people I guess my mom would tell people the kind of dog that I got and they go wow those dogs need a lot of exercise and she says well have you met my daughter she needs a lot of exercise (laughs) she needs it too 
So talk to us about that trail then. How long is that trail? Have you walked it completely? Um, the Pacific Crest Trail goes from Mexico to Canada. And it's a couple months long, really. People through hikers do it sometimes in the summer. I've yeah. never done the whole thing by any means. But what's really great is living here, I've done a lot of different access points. So I've seen a lot of parts of it around here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, some of those are really, I imagine over there as well, you've got so much more land than we do. We think the ones we have here are quite long. There's one near me that's 87 miles long, which is a bit, whoa, that's really long. But you're talking about a couple of months worth of um, walking every day. And, and often you do get that, don't you, where you can kind of bob in at certain points and do some of it which is a little bit like the Ridgeway here you know that there are lots of walks within it so I guess for you it's nice to have that access isn't it exactly yeah it's 2650 miles long (laughs) wow that is a long way and it's getting the time to do it as well isn't it that is taking a lot out of your day yeah (laughs) so you're the founder of um the forest bathing club and I couldn't think of a nicer club to be part of frankly (laughs) And we'll talk about that, of course, but I want to first of all talk about how you obviously are a total nature nymph, <laughs> and I can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all have our reasons for wanting to be in nature, which I think sometimes we often have to dig deep to find out why mm-hmm. we particularly lean towards mm-hmm. that in such a strong, connective way uh, as human beings. So did you have a natural tendency to explore the outdoors from an early age or was there something that triggered you to do that later on in life? Yeah, I've always been drawn to the outdoors. I grew up on the East Coast, actually, um, near Washington, D.C. in the suburbs. And um, my family wasn't that outdoorsy. It's not like we were spend all our weekends hiking and camping. We were as an athletic family, but not in that really nature way. But it was something that I always had in me yeah and i wasn't you know i wasn't sure why at the time why i felt you know and now i know knowing what i do know about the mental health benefits and the spiritual health you know and the just all of the reasons why being in nature mm-hmm. is so good for us that it's like no wonder i was drawn to it and it is yeah part of deeply who i am but it wasn't that i always started out that way and i would say that my relationship with nature has evolved over the years it used to be I would love, you know, I still do love, of course, to surf and to run and be really adventurous, but I've also learned how to just, how nature helps me be still and slow down and connect and feel and heal. Mm. And often I think it isn't until we kind of go through life that we realize why we like it. You know, as kids, we're just in it and we do it and that's that and we don't even think about it. But as we get older and possibly get taken away from it slightly through just having to do lots of things that don't involve being in nature, it's not until we go back into it again that we start to question, oh, that's what it does for me. You know, oh, right, okay, I understand that if I'm not in it, this happens. So did you find that that was the case when you got a bit older, it kind of helped you um, sort of, you know, stabilize everything within your life? Definitely. I mean, for me, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease Mm -hmm. at age 18. So I spent a long time on antibiotics and doing a lot of intense healing. And um, and then, you know, I lived in big cities in Vietnam and San Francisco and New York and was feeling a lot of anxiety and stress and depression at times. And it was when I, 
you know, began to connect to nature and was able to find that solace that I really, a lot of my life began to expand and open up in new ways. Mm, and that Lyme disease can be really debilitating, can't it? So that must have been horrific for you at that time. Yeah, it, it's been a big story of my life. And um, I actually, my book came out, I read a book, The Healing Magic of Forest Bathing that came out in 2019. And, um, you know, and I was going on book tours, and I was telling everyone like, forest bathing saved my life. And I was had all this stuff going on. And then I went into the forest and I, and I healed. And I really do believe that story. But it also, two months after that, I got bit by another tick, actually, while I was in the forest at an event. And um, it just immediately brought back all of my latent symptoms that I had had. So I spent wow. the past two years, actually, till I even right this moment, in a big, another cycle of deep healing. And um, what, what I've known this time is, okay, this really is the worst. Like I wouldn't wish this, wouldn't wish this on anyone totally sucks, but also there's something here for me. Like there's a great teacher in this tick, this, you know, it's an initiation. It's, it's um, a redirection. It's helping guide me in a way that, you know, when you're going through it, you're like, I don't see how this is guidance, but when you can trust that it is what gives me the strength to keep going. Mm, almost like that's happened to you and watching perhaps how you react to it and how your body processes everything it's quite an interesting thing to go through I guess mm. um, and I really want to talk about your book but first of all um, you mentioned that your school days were chronicled in a book called The Overachievers <laughs> uh, and that you were indoctrinated into a culture that valued achievement over personal and planetary well-being and I really, was really interested to read that because I think that this is a real issue in, in the Western world in particular and in that we're so busy getting our kids to achieve to a certain level in a certain curriculum and certain things and or, or making ourselves do it, you know, to a certain standard that we can often perhaps miss the important things, which is what you're sort of talking about. Perhaps this tick is teaching you in a way and then burnout comes along or we have some kind of epiphany about what we need to do but how did that indoctrination manifest for you perhaps at school and amongst your friends back then how did that feel to, to be in that environment yeah it's interesting I was even before the overachievers book came along a really high achieving kid and I liked getting straight A's I was a competitive runner um, I liked competing with the boys in like science class and math class and like who could get the highest grades you know like I really enjoying that um I felt pressure but also it wasn't from my family it was like a personal pressure a self pressure to get into the best university I could and um you know I even there was things like art that I love to do but was never really I never really felt that I I wouldn't blame this on my parents at this point you know I think if I were to say I wanted to do art they would say great do art but there was this feeling that even art was like less important than some of these harder academic things. Right. And so you really start to develop one part of you and then other parts of you remain completely like undeveloped. Yeah. Yeah. I can completely relate to that. And I think it's only been fairly recently that I've kind of, you know, explored all the creative things that are buried deep within me. So you must've really felt like that because you're clearly a very creative person, but 
It's really interesting what you said there, actually, about competing with the boys. So was that particularly the way it was? You know, were the boys seen as the ones that were doing the best or, you know, they were above the girls? How how did that work? (laughs) It's funny, yeah. Um, I think it was like, you know, girls compete in all sorts of ways, right? Like they compete for who's the prettiest, who's the skinniest, who's the best dressed, Mm. who has a hottest boyfriend you know like and then there's something just like really charming about you know for, that I found like I could easily compete with boys and it would be like it would be a fun competition I see <laughs> yeah I get it so it's it almost um in things that you wanted to compete in not necessarily um you know all the girl things that were coming up but more in more in this sort of academic field is that what you're saying exactly or it's just like boys at that point you know I'm not talking you know I don't mean gender but like at that whatever at that point when I was in high school it was more socially acceptable to be competitive I or I felt more comfortable being competitive with boys than I did with girls yeah yeah and did you realize that you were being drawn away from your creative side then because you're very arty and creative and obviously you you realize that now and that's a big part of what you do but did you realize then that did you have a frustration that you weren't able to fulfill those wants and needs back then I think I was just really focused you know at that time on academics on sports and so it wasn't I wasn't aware that I was not you know expressing myself in other ways I definitely had a lot of like angst and emotional stuff that was going through that probably would have been really healthy to express through you know creativity and art and I think I mean that just says it doesn't it really like children nowadays perhaps they do have a curriculum to keep to and perhaps if we did explore that a little bit more and we did allow them to be creative in all the classes, not just the creative ones. So here we go, here's your art lesson. There you go, go and be creative, but more creative in, you know, maths and science and all of those things. And I think, you know, there are obviously some schools that operate differently from others, but it would be nice, wouldn't it? If there was a bit more of that to allow a child to realize that, realize that they have that creativity and that there isn't this box of, you know, you're you're in the uh, the left brain box, and I'm in the right brain box, and I'm a creative type, and you're this. Perhaps if we if we explored that, that would be really nice, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, I think you know our educational system is needs a lot of work to make it work for different types of learners. Um, you know, there's Howard Gardner's like five types of learning, and school as it's set up is really only set up for people who who can, who learn in one way, right. Who can sit and absorb information. Mm-hmm. And, um, this whole thing with the rise of ADD and ADHD to me, that's like, actually those are just kids and they're responding to an environment that wasn't designed properly for them. Right. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of skills, like the can't focus means that they're able to actually think and have a tracking and an awareness of many different things at once. And those skills translate really well to something like being in nature where you need to be aware of, you know, of your surroundings and be paying attention. And, and so there's a lot of learning that isn't happening correctly or, you know, to its fullest in the classroom right now. Yeah. It's almost like we've discovered what that condition is. We've given it a label 
And we said, okay, well, we know they've got that now. Let's just keep them in that position, <laughs> keep them in the chair with the desk. Them. And that's that. Exactly. Yeah. And I can, I mean, myself, I've um, recently taken a job where I have to sit still for, you know, quite a long time. <laughs> um, and I've really now given into the fact that I won't be doing that. I won't be sitting still for all that time. I need to break every half an hour and stand up, walk around, go in the garden, even do like a 10 minute walk. I realise that in myself. I haven't had to sit still for that long for a number of years. And uh, mm -hmm. I think it's recognising that we as humans, well, first of all, it's really bad for us to sit down um, on our bodies. And second of all, we need to take things in. We need to move around um, because also because I'm in nature a lot. I really miss it, even for that five hours that I need to sit still. So I have to kind of bob in and out. So I think it's really important. You're completely right. I just want to add to that. I've always known that about myself that, you know, my dad is a lawyer and I've seen him work long, hard hours for my entire life. Bless him that he has been able to do that. And I've always said, I don't, I don't want to have this, a job where I have to sit at a desk all day. And at the time, I remember in high school, clearly my dad said, what are you going to do? Mow lawns? You know, like there was no option. You, you mm. either. No alternative. Yeah. Like if you're a high achieving person, you have to sit at a desk all day. And that just felt so wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I think I did that for far too long. I mean, I'm glad I did because I can now look back on it and say, that's not happening anymore. But yeah, it, it's like you are put into that box of if you work in an office, you have to sit down all day. I mean, I know people who work in great companies and they are very much on this and they have wind up desks and they have walking meetings. And I think it's improving in a lot of ways, but there are still many, many companies which don't really think about that. So yeah, it's uh, it's something to think about, isn't it? Definitely. Mm -hmm. So let's get into forest bathing then, or Shinrin-yoku, the name being from Japan, where this originated from. And um, oh, they're so great at knowing and understanding stuff before the West. And we read time and time again how centuries ago they discovered how to behave to preserve and improve health. Um, and we're kind of trying to catch up on all of this. So. You've obviously really grasped this and embraced this this concept. So have you actually been to Japan to discover more about this? Because they've really researched the heck out of it, haven't they? Yeah. So I have been to Japan twice. And so I think one thing that people hear about forest bathing or Shinrin-yoku is that it's this really ancient practice, you know, coming from Japan. And the truth is the term was coined in the 80s. So not okay. that long ago when they did all of this scientific research on the, the mental health effects and the benefits of being in nature. And that was in part as a way to find uses for their forests to bring in money besides logging, which is a great, you know, great impetus. And also in Japan, you know, talk about work culture. They have had, especially in the 80s, they had, you know, and still today, but really intense work culture where people you know, there's all these stories of people working in Tokyo and just crazy long hours and not really going home and like sleeping in little work hotels and getting depressed and because um, they're just so mm. overworked and overstressed. And so it was really also a response to that, I would say. And if you've ever been to Japan, it's amazing. I would love to go. I haven't been yet, but it's on my list. It's such an amazing place. And they have you know, these huge cities like Tokyo is a city you could probably spend your whole life there and like not ever. I feel like at least for me, I could not 
I could spend my whole life there and not fully know the city because it's just yeah it's huge and it's you know the um but then they have these train systems that are so amazing and they go across the whole country so you can be from like the heart of Tokyo and then in two hours in the country so it's really easy to get out um versus like I think about you know San Francisco where I used to live and there is a lot of nature in San Francisco but um you have to drive everywhere Mm -hmm. to get out and so you you really can access these these small towns that have beautiful forests from you know from cities which is a really interesting beautiful thing yeah so when you went there was was that um what triggered you to start your groups because obviously you take groups now and you do forest bathing yourself was that how where it started or did you go there once you'd done it because you wanted to research it a little bit more yeah so I actually started doing the research for all of this while I was getting my um, MFA in design. So talk about creativity. I went full circle, right? I finally took some art classes my senior year of college, university. And um, my professor for art was like, wow, you know, let me know when you apply to art school. You know, I'm happy to write you a recommendation. And I laughed and I said, I'm never going to art school, right? I'm that's not who I am. And then a couple of years later, I've sure enough, like, hey, I'm applying to design school. The right thing to do. And then, yeah, my research there was all about the mental health effects of being disconnected from nature. And then design is about, you know, okay, so what are you going to do with that? How to heal? And everything I read was to reconnect to nature. So that was where I was doing a ton of research. And I came across this Australian researcher, Glenn Albrecht, and he has this whole set of terms for psychoterratica, which is the way that, you know, nature affects our mm-hmm. psychology. And um, one of them is solastalgia, which is a loss of solace for a place that you never left. As it has changed, you know, due to climate change or natural, you know, quote unquote disaster or you know, even just a city, you know, becoming different than how you remember it when you were growing up. And, um, and then all of these ways, he said to heal it was through solophilia, which is a reconnection to place and community and self. And so I love this term solophilia. And I actually started, you know, as in grad school, trying to talk about solophilia and make solophilia this really cool term for whatever reason, you know, it's, it's, it's a big word. People don't really know what it means and it didn't really catch on. And then, um, but that feeling of what I wanted to do was that, and then I came across the term forest bathing. I was like, Oh, this is what I wanted to be doing. And of course, forest bathing is a beautiful term. And when you hear it, you're like, Ooh, I Mm. want that. I don't know exactly what it is, but it sounds so nice. Yeah. Really kind of a delicious term for it. Almost like you feel immersed in it before you've even done it. That kind of feeling and I always think that, you know exactly. that walking and being in nature is a real catalyst for creativity I just hear myself saying that again and again and oh yeah so how how have you found that to be the case with the people who join your group yeah well so that was how I discovered forest bathing I started leading groups into the forest um started the forest bathing club it started to grow um I then got asked to write a book from for about forest bathing so that was the point where I was like, okay if I'm going to be writing this book I really want to do a lot of more research and so as part of the research for my book I then went to Japan and New Zealand and Guatemala and Costa Rica as well as different places in the U.S. different forests 
spent a lot of time with a bunch of teachers and really deepened my own understanding of what this nature connection means yeah absolutely and I think um actually I was watching you on an interview recently and it, it was funny because you were talking about fighting sides which not very long ago I read uh, some article on that which I found so fascinating because it's something that we don't really think about um in that we see nature we're in nature we're us nature is there but these fighting sides which are chemicals that trees release into the atmosphere actually increase the ability for our immune system the effectiveness of our immune system and as soon as I read that I thought there right there is that connection the one that you're talking about you know we're all part of nature and I think as humans we've kind of taken ourselves out of that in a way um, I mean one of my favorite expressions is you know we're not we're not just in the world we're of the world because we are all connected in that way and and I think obviously the forest bathing concept um, where the Japanese have kind of you know coined that phrase is is a really important one isn't it because you are then able to take yourself into nature and feel part of it so is that the kind of connection that you're talking about there yeah, a hundred percent. It's so easy in our lives to feel like, because as you said, that we are disconnected from this thing, or unaware that we are the earth and everything comes from the earth. And and so when you slow down, and there's different invitations and practices that you can do to really deepen that connection. And um, I guess the other thing about nature connection is every indigenous culture had a way of being in connection and by that it's like reciprocal sacred relationship with nature and knew that you know everything that we all the food every our homes our clothes everything comes from nature and so of course you know you want to give back and you know be in good relations with that because that's the balance that's needed for life to our lives to exist Mm -hmm. and um at some point we went on this journey of of moving away from that right of storing our food and getting it from grocery stores eventually and you know having like all this excess all this stuff that we feel like it's almost like we're a layer above the earth but the reality is that we're not right even if something looks like it's plastic it's still from the earth even our phones are you know use rare minerals yeah (laughs) from the earth to work (laughs) yeah we have no choice but to um use those things don't we really to to manufacture a lot of the things that we have so yeah we're connected whether we like it or not really is that what you're saying well it's just that we're not aware of that connection and the more that we become aware of it the more grateful we are and the more love we can feel for for the earth and for ourselves and for each other and that to me is really an important part of of the healing Mm. and describe to me then so you you take a group out to the forest describe to me exactly what happens what's the process that you all go through when you do that Mm -hmm. so we get a group and you know it could be anywhere sometimes I've done this even in urban city parks sometimes I've done it in in you know, people say, does it have to be a forest? And the answer is no, you can do it by the desert and the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, by the beach. But you bring a group. And for me, it's really about tapping into a connection, a way of being that is always possible, but that um, we forget about. And so 
for example, I have a daily practice that I do to keep myself in harmony, in relation, in connection with nature. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do every day. So sometimes, you know, I'll share some of those practices with them. Um, we move through different invitations and I always say invitations because this is really something where you feel into your heart and your truth. Is this something you want to do? You know, if you'd say no, and you just want to sit under a tree, you'll get the same benefits. And we move to awaken our senses and then different, you know, um, learning to wander, learning to tap into your, you know, more. So your five senses, but then also your sense of intuition and you know, we actually have more sense, sensory, we're very sensory beings. There's more ways that we can sense that we don't often get to, um, mm-hmm. pay attention to. And we move through these invitations and through that people, I send them out on their own and then we come back and we kind of create this weave of going out and sharing back. And through this over time, it creates this really powerful portal and you're in this liminal space on this journey together. And eventually, um, we close, you know, I have a, some tea usually with, um, ingredients from the forest that I have foraged and some cookies it's, you know, it, as a way to drink in that medicine from, you know, we've been from drink it in really physically and also to ground because we've been in a more kind of spiritual liminal space and you have to come back right to then get in your car and, and leave. (laughs) So like a grounding back in and it's amazing. I think from the first one I ever led, I was just amazed by the power of this practice. And, um, the truth is the guide opens the door, but it's nature that's creating the magic and creating the, the beauty. And, you know, so I've always known that this is beyond me. And when I'm guiding this work I often ask for support from nature you know to make sure it all works and and I'm really aware that I'm 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 super tuned in and listening for cues from nature to for my own guidance as I'm guiding this group it's amazing (laughs) yeah it sounds absolutely divine and and it I guess you know people are at different stages in their life and um perhaps going through some things that they don't want to go through and just putting them into that environment must just be so cathartic and so relaxing and and really quite powerful and I think you talked about sharing there presumably when you said about coming back the group share what they feel is that what you mean yeah so um you know we'll go through a practice like awakening your senses and right I'll have everyone you know, first look around and then see all that you can see, take in all the views. And then when you feel like you're, you know, as I say, as if it's your last chance to take a look on planet earth and then you close your eyes and you, you know, we get so much of our information from visually, especially these days where it's so much time on, you know, technology. So when we invite our eyes to close, we are able to let our other senses engage and really wake up. So you focus on what you can hear and then what you can smell and what you can taste and what you can feel. And then, uh, you know, so I go, this is, I might be like a 20 minute long thing. And then I um, have people turn to a direction that they feel called and then slowly they'll open their eyes and as if for the first time and imagining that what they're looking at is looking back at them, for example. 
And then we come back and share. And what's beautiful is everyone has something that they picked up on and something that felt profound and important to them. And um, what I like to say, it's like the blind men and the elephant, right? Everyone feels like, oh, this is like the trunk. Oh no, this is a leg. But none of us can see the whole. Mm. Um, and so when we share back, we're actually helping each other fill in the gaps and see things in new ways. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is kind of I, I'm really listening to this and, and nodding away here because this is exactly what I do in um, I'm training to be a therapist at the moment. And that's what we do. It's all about sharing and what people think and their experiences and just that connection with each other as well. I mean, you're connecting with nature in a way because you're connecting with each other and they're also part of nature. So mm-hmm. connecting together is a, is a really important part of it, I guess, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing. Like I did one last week and, you know, group of people who didn't know each other from different ages and points in their life and places. And um, and yet we have this profound shared experience. And it's amazing the depth that you can get to with other humans in nature. Right. Um, and how when we just cut away from the surface talk and go into, yeah, what what we're dealing with what's on our hearts what are our wishes in the world what are our soul desires you you fall in love with people Mm. it's very honest space Mm -hmm. and and somewhere that you can really share and trust that must be quite lovely it is it really it's it's such sweet work yeah Mm. and how do you find that people behave or respond to it i mean obviously you're saying there it's it's really cathartic and everybody's sharing but do you find you know at the end of say maybe somebody's first session um they feel certain emotions or they come back and say things to you well how do you find that people respond to that when they've done that session mm-hmm. yeah people you know i've i've led all sorts of people and you know including um in san francisco right people who work at venture capitalist offices and have never, you know, and they might have their fancy, you know, road bike, but they haven't talked to a tree, (laughs) at least not, you know, in their adult life. And, um, and I do think that, you know, I'm like, oh, am I, you know, are they going to think I'm crazy? Am I pushing them? And, you know, way that I handle that is to say, you know, to say like, you might think I'm crazy. If you don't want to do this, I give people a lot of space to really tune into like what is true to them. So they're not, they're not feeling like they're forced into any uncomfortable situation. And that's the opposite of this, right? Like so Mm -hmm. often in life, we, we do things that are kind of uncomfortable and we don't want to do them. And this is really a space to, to not do that, to have that um, sovereignty. And I haven't found anyone who's ever, you know, I always say you can sit under a tree if you don't want to do this. I've never had anyone who's actually done that. People always come along. They, and, um, I've always had positive experiences that I've heard about. Mm. Um, I'm sure there's someone who, you know, it's like, okay, I'm never doing that again, but um, (laughs) no one's ever told me that. No, and I guess as well from their point of view that you've experienced all of this for for yourself. And I think often in groups like this, you take from the person that's giving the group and obviously you're giving off all of those lovely nature vibes and, you're saying all the words that they really need and want to hear so people are are seeing you as the well as the teacher in a way but in teacher in in a very kind of uh, not in that sense you know as in teaching people about how to appreciate nature 
So I suppose it's a very safe and uh, inclusive environment for those people to be in. Yeah. Um, you know, another thing that I do believe is people will say, oh, yoga, not for me, meditation, not for me, uh, Reiki, like there's all of these beautiful practices that come from around the world. And, you know, they might feel that it's not theirs to do, or they're just, it might be too out there for them. But nature, no matter who you are or where you come from, we all come from the earth. So we all deserve to have a relationship with it, right? That's our birthright. Mm-hmm. And so there's something so core um, in us that responds to nature that literally no one you know, even people might say, oh, it's buggy or it's cold or I'm not a nature person, but at their core, they are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you've probably noticed it as well that recently in the last year um, where we've been forced into nature, uh, people have really embraced it, you know, and I'm sure, well, have you had more interest in the last year over um, over the lockdown and, and what's happened or, or how, how has that gone for you with your groups? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've definitely noticed more and more people are talking about forest bathing and doing it and being out in nature than I ever expected. So when I first started doing it, it was pretty fringe. You know, people hadn't heard of it. I had to first tell them why this matters and why it's important. And there was a lot of work to do. And now, you know, I see forest bathing in the news all the time and on Instagram and it's really caught on. And in some ways I feel, oh, my work here is done. You know, <laughs> like um, I've helped birth this thing into, into the world. And um, yeah, there's, there's deeper to go. I think my, like where I'm at now is fall back in love with nature, be in nature, heal with nature. And then there's a whole nother level of after that, like, how do we live our lives? You know, so it's not something that we go and do and then go back to our office life, but how do we actually transition our whole lives and our whole ways of being and moving through the world to be in deeper harmony with nature? Yeah. And it's so, well, it's such an important part of everything. And I think what is a healthy addiction as well, isn't it? I mean, you can you can be addicted to work you can be addicted to going into the office and and doing that all day but if you start to go into nature on a regular basis that then becomes your addiction then you realize that actually i really miss that when i'm not there the more you do it the more you love it and i think that's just testimony to how brilliant that actually is um and obviously you're very passionate about nature and the earth and your relationship with them both but tell me about how you live your life um, in connection to nature. Like, are you very conscious of recycling? Is that, do you live a minimalistic life? How does that play out for you in your own life? Yeah, exactly. So I live in the forest. I actually live um, right now on a, in a little bit of a community. You know, we're 30 minutes outside of town and we have some neighbors around. And so in some ways that feels really how humans are meant to live more in this like village lifestyle. Yeah. And you know, we're very on grid here. It's not like we're living off the grid, right? Like where that I have to drive my car into town and that, and I'm, you know, but I try not to try to shop at the farmer's market and like, you know, grow food and forage for food and, um, not buy food that's been processed or comes in plastic. I try to buy as much secondhand clothing that I can and when I do wear clothes like the clothes I do wear I 
try to make that they're materials that come from nature and are made in a good way. Um, I like nice natural fabrics and, um, you know, I'm definitely aware of it. And I'm also aware of that I shop on Amazon and, you know, I think this, yeah, there's no, you know, you can try to clean up your own life and your own, how you live. And then there's also, you know, I think there can be an over emphasis on the individual that we place as like the blame on the individual not recycling versus on corporations. Mm. Oh yeah, completely. And I think more and more people and businesses are so conscious of what's happening on our planet now and also about the potential that we have for technology as well to play play a huge part in and I know you worked in technology as well in your life but it can really help us to improve the condition of the planet uh and actually a friend recently packaged up all his waste and he went shopping um and it wasn't recyclable so he just sent it all back to the supermarket with a note saying um, I think you need to responsibly dispose of all of this. And I think that's really important because as without examples like yours and, and his kind of sticking in your head and seeping in and various publicity and ethically sourced products being advertised, it's easy to bury that guilt or think, well, that's the way we do things. We can't do everything. We've got to live. And it's something you've experienced yourself obviously by by thinking about all this but I think you're right I think we can only do so much and we can only you know we put our recycling out and, and like you say get some secondhand clothes or don't buy this if you don't need it don't buy it and try to reduce plastics and things like that but it's such a bigger thing isn't it it's such a huge area that we need to we do need to rely on bigger corporations to to do their part to be able to support us um, in that but how have you managed to handle that side of it yourself you know that kind of almost the inability to be able to resolve that issue mm. well yeah I want to first respond to what you were saying and um, you know there's a quote by Ursula Le Guin who's who's a science fiction author that I really love you cannot buy the revolution you cannot make the revolution you can only be the revolution mm -hmm. it is in your spirit or it is nowhere and um, that plus another you know mantra that I live by is like your life is your message so how it's you know I think this relates to forest bathing too and I get caught in myself and I have to do more right I have to I have to speak louder I have to go to you know um I have to go and you know there's so much heartbreak around the world right there's old growth forests right now being cut down in British Columbia Columbia and you know people you know I have to go there I have to be a part of that and mm. there's like there's a stress. And then um, the flip side of that is that like, that's a doing and actually how do you be? Yeah. How do you be that? Right. <laughs> Versus how do you, instead of like having to do, 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 which is part of our capitalist mindset that has gotten us into a lot of the trouble that we're in. And also being, being able to live your life and deliver that message without constantly having that anxiety to fix and do and make happen yeah and you know i i also a long couple of years ago you know i committed my life to the trees and i said use me teach me show me the way like i surrender my life to you whatever it is that you want me to do i will do it however as you want me to live i will do it and um really trusting in that you know so it's not I feel like it's not my own life right and I'm mm. like that whole thing of like oh this is my life right it's 
I feel when I give my life surrender to something bigger than me and more important than me, it actually is really freeing and trusting that when you stand in that and have that message and have that way of being, everything you need to do will will come in. Mm-hmm. Almost like a calling is what you're saying. Exactly. Mm. Um, I can completely relate to that. You're obviously a very creative person and you describe yourself quite appropriately as a vision doula, which I love. <laughs> uh, doula being someone who facilitates a birth. Um, and I think that says a lot as to why you're in that space as well, because nature in itself is so creative and opportunistic and itself amazingly designed for someone with that kind of brain as well. Um, and nature is so liberated as well, isn't it? But it somehow sort of catapults us out of that box and or a box and out of the rules and the processes when we're actually absorbed within it. And obviously you have a background in design as you were talking about. So how do you see the connection to nature through that? And why did you particularly pursue that line of education and now work? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so nature, like there's studies that show that nature enhances creativity and allows our minds to like be more curious and flexible in our way of thinking there's also this thing, right? You can't be creative when you are in this like fight or flight stressed out mode. So it's when you are relaxed, which being in nature helps us relax that you're able to open up and be more receptive and be um, more creative. Uh, I think, you know, nature, like creative creation, right? Like it is Mm. all of creation comes from nature. So it's that energy nature is incredibly creative Mm. and yeah I like for me there's like an there's an inspiration that happens when I like a spaciousness that allows ideas to come in there's a flow I can get into that I feel like I'm able to channel from trees or from nature and a lot of my wisdom I say is like coming through me and I'm just allowing it to come through especially in my book I would go out and I when I got the book deal I was living in an apartment in the middle of San Francisco and I knew I couldn't write a book about nature connection from there so I actually rented a cottage by the beach in Marin County in Northern California in the red by the redwoods and I would spend every day walking through these redwoods and redwood forests and through that is like really where the the energy of that book comes from. And then for me, you know, the nature and creativity have just, it's just parts of me, right. That I, I didn't necessarily know that I was pursuing. I just went to design school because I started working with designers and I love the way that designers think and collaborate and have processes for working. And it felt really great. Talk about competition, you know, um, it felt collaborative and like teamwork. And I was like, wow, I want to be a part of this. And um, I do think design can be an, um, an amazing tool. It can also be really detrimental, right? If you think about design, like industrial design is how things are manufactured. And of course the impact of, okay, you're going to make a, this product. And then you multiply that by you know, hundreds of thousands, you've created a big impact in the world. So there's an opportunity and a need for designers to really think about what they're creating, what the life cycle is. And designers are doing that. That's where a lot of creative thinking around 
you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier about like how to live a life in, in harmony with nature. And there's a lot of people who are thinking about closed loop systems and, you know, packaging that comes from mushrooms and things that are regenerative and mm. biomimicry is a really, I don't know if you've heard of that term. We're kind of like trying to incorporate nature into what we're making. Is that what you're saying? Right. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And learning from nature. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so what are the kind of products that you produce? Are they very arty ones? Is this, are these products that people are going to use? What kind of things do you do you help create? Yeah, that's a great question. So as a, I work mostly as a strategist now. And, um, and I've, to be honest, I've been transitioning. Sometimes I work on products that are just, this isn't necessarily my belief or what I, you know, want to be doing, but this is a job that I have at this time. Um, sometimes like you get to work on really cool projects that are visionary and I'm all really excited to be a part of. There's a group um, here on the West Coast that they're designing products and processes for um, like intentional land-based communities. And I think that's just really cool. Um, like I said, I think this living in community in, is a, a big piece of the puzzle. So I'm excited to help that project. Myself, I really gotten into herbalism. And so I do a lot of like working, you know, making medicines with plants. I'm really interested in plant dyes. So I like to find like clothes that are, you know, and do some natural dyeing or things like that. Um, a lot of creating with, with nature and with plants and, you know, weaving willow baskets. So going back to some of these more artisanal old school ways of making things that, you know, you finish working, you finish your willow basket and you just leave it in the forest. It will, you know, it'll go mm -hmm. back into the ground. So just lo lots of natural products that an actual facts are, are pretty trendy these days. So it's a win-win situation, isn't it really? Totally. Yeah. Mm. So almost like um, kind of weaving in a bit of, you know, the feeling of meditation when you're doing this work, you know, you really feel like you're, able to tap into something that some real part of you that that you really need to tap into but it's but it's also very calming for you would you say oh you hit it right on the, like 100 percent. this term comes to my mind a lot attention restoration therapy and the truth is we're so in this like modern life so busy so scattered going from you know zooms to emails to instagram all of this you know work and it's like very, yeah, it's super scattering. And then when you do things like weaving, it's slow and it's meditative and it um, is really healing actually. Mm -hmm. I once went through a bad breakup and was having a hard time and through that felt called to start doing some weaving work. And I really felt that I was like weaving new neural passageways, right? Like moving from like a trauma and um, and like re-weaving re like, Reweaving my mind, my brain. Yeah, I can imagine that kind of physical way of doing that makes mm -hmm. you feel that connection. Yeah. So let's talk about your book then, The Healing Magic of Forest Bathing, Finding Calm, Creativity and Connection in the Natural World. And obviously very thought about title and one which clearly reflects your work that we've been talking about. So what can we expect from that book then? Yeah, it is a guide. I call it like... um an armchair forest bath so you could sit in an armchair and read the whole book and you'll feel like you've been on a forest bath wow um 
you can also follow it and it'll guide you on a forest bath. So it'll like, there's different invitations. A lot of the invitations I talk about are in there and different ways of connecting are in there. It follows like a structure of a hero's journey almost where you leave this known world and you step over into a liminal space, into this mystery, into this, which is, you know, another way of being where you signs have power and like a leaf falling from the sky might have a profound meaning for you. And Mm. um, it's little chapters that are highly readable and yeah. Sounds lovely. I'm going to get myself a copy for sure. Uh, Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I really want to really try this out properly because we do hear a lot about it now and um, it's starting to be talked about quite a bit over here. But yeah, so I really want to... uh, to know what I'm talking about when I tell people and to experience it myself as well. So um, unfortunately, I'm not near you, obviously, but it'd be quite nice to uh, to try that out through your book. So thank you for that. Now, I've got the stepping out question, um, which is if you could walk anywhere in any part of the world on any landscape with anybody past or with us, famous or non-famous, where and with whom would that be? And what do you think you might talk about? Hmm. I would love to walk on Mount Tamalpais, which is a mountain I've walked on many times, just over the bay, you know, over the Golden Gate Bridge from San Francisco. And it's a really sacred mountain. And I would like to walk there with Alan Watts, who lived in Marin, like by this mountain when he was for some time. And um, a lot of great teachers like Gary Snyder who's an amazing poet have also lived on this land and I would love to just be with them and I think we would just talk about you know the nature of reality (laughs) yeah good subject and that would cover quite a few hours I'd imagine (laughs) you could definitely do the whole walk with that couldn't you (laughs) oh good answer I like that a lot like it um really good so Lastly, I'd really like to highlight a lovely page on your website, if I may, which describes your principles that guide your work. And I'd like to read a few of them, if that's okay, because they really resonated with me. Um, uh, So the first one is, we are all creative beings. Creativity is healing. Healing is creative. We have something that we are born to do. And when we tap into that, we tap into our soul work. The world will be healed by people doing soul work. Hmm, very true, I think. And I think mm-hmm. when we realise what it is that we are, oh, I don't know if I want to say meant to be doing, but, you know, we are called to do or that's something that feels really mm-hmm. good. That's uh, that's a lovely thing to write. So that's the first one. Um, if it doesn't work for all beings and the planet, it doesn't work. Solutions at this time must enable everyone to thrive which made me think of that one again like I said earlier of we are not in the world but of the world so we're all part of the same thing which is what we've been talking about so that's a lovely one as well and the next one what we create has the energy of how we created it if we create from a place of stress and anxiety what we create will feel like that how something Mm -hmm. starts is how it grows if we create from love and gratitude and deep connection, anything is possible. Oh, how true is that? Put some passion in, the passion comes out. And you must really feel like that with what you've done as well, having sort of poured all of this natural passion into what you do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. Um, there's there's no other way. And so this, you know, really relates to my 
like when I'm especially helping like the vision doula work, helping people birth their visions into the world. And um, I do some mentoring work with people who want to do that and are wanting support on that in that process. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the final one I'm going to read out, they're all lovely. So please, everyone, do go to the website and check it out. But this one is really nice. We are each on a journey of reconnection. It might look different for everyone. The earth is waking up and so are all of us. Be gentle and kind. And I just think that last one says it all. Julia, it's been a total pleasure to talk to you today. And I would really like to stay connected if that's okay with you. But for now, thank you so much for your story and your gorgeous insight into nature. And I really look forward to seeing what you do next. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you, Julia. What a calming and interesting take on nature you have. And it was so interesting to find out yet again how someone can change their mindset and life by moving from a restrictive space to one filled with freedom to create and immerse in nature on a daily basis. I hope you enjoyed that cast and don't forget to share with friends and family if you did. It makes all the difference to add more listeners and I really appreciate your time in doing that. Also, if you're thinking of increasing the amount of walking you do and entering a challenging but enjoyable event, have a listen to the podcast I've put up entitled Preparing for an Ultra. There's all sorts of info on those about training plans, lifestyle, nutrition, apps to help you train and even kits to take. Even if you don't think you can manage walking a long distance, you really can. So have a listen to those to find out more. Thank you for listening. I love you lots. Have a wonderful day or evening and I look forward to having you along next time. Thank you.